Well, good morning, church family. How's everyone today? Wonderful, wonderful. Hey, Mr. Ben. Hey, look, Mr. Ben's standing over there. You know what that means? It's time for children's church. If you're a kindergartner through third grader, a parent can walk you down to where Mr. Ben is. Uh, this morning, there's Miss Marguerite. Y'all going to go upstairs and have a time in children's church. Kindergarten through third grade. Parents, if you want to go up there and experience it with them, you can. You're invited to. Um, but they are going to be going upstairs. And at the end of the service, uh, when we conclude here, when we're done, parents, you can go right over there to the bottom of the stairs and we'll give them back. And uh, I don't know. Ben, are you going to sugar them up today? All right. Make for an, a lively afternoon. So, parents, thank you uh, for letting your children be a part of Children's Church. This morning, um, one of my heroes in life is going to be leading us in the proclamation of God's Word, Mr. Lance Breedlove, who is, uh, man, I'm privileged to get to call him a brother in Christ, uh, but a co-laborer in Christ, because he's a Sunday school teacher and wears a number of hats around here and does an amazing job, and I'm so thankful. Um, man, we talked, man, we talked before COVID, didn't we? And we talked before all this pandemic started about him coming and preaching. Uh, so I'm thankful uh, today, and I'm going to pray for him before he comes. But uh, God has a word that is encouraging to the church and glorifying to his name. And this morning, I'm excited to get to be a part of that with you as we see God revealed through his word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have of gathering in this place today. we got the privilege of being united as a family uh, to glorify your name and through acknowledging your word is truth and worship you in it. God, I, I ask that once again you would speak through your servant Lance. God, you are already glorified through his obedience. Um, and may you and you alone receive the glory through everything that is said and done here today. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being together, um, whether in person or online, that we enjoy time in your word. Be glorified, Father, even now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6. As you're turning there, I uh, just want to say I'm just grateful to be a part of Westmead and what Westmead is doing. I love our staff. I love uh, my Sunday school class. I love a small group leaders. I love everybody in the church. And it's just, it is a blessing to be here. Um, and I do want to say, as I said in the last service, our staff has done a tremendous job of managing this COVID pandemic. Uh, I think they've done an outstanding job. Uh, do you guys agree? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, I think they need a raise, right? Okay. Did I say that right, Terrence? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, but this sermon is entitled Awestruck, and let me ask you a question. Have you ever, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand. Okay. I've never been there. I would love to go to be in awe of God's creation. Um, let's go out of the country a little bit. Have you been in awe of, have you, anybody seen the pyramids? We had one person last service that saw the pyramids. Okay. Oh, we have another one person. Ah, that's awesome. Some of you uh, sports guys like me, I get awestruck sometimes watching ESPN highlights. Da-da-da, da-da-da. Yeah. So, um you know, I didn't say starstruck. I said awestruck. Now, my grandmother was starstruck with Elvis. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I saw the, the videos of Elvis and all the girls going, ah, going crazy over Elvis. And my 
Sometimes I wondered if my grandmother loved him more than she loved my, she loved my granddaddy. But, uh, but my question for you today is, are you awestruck by God? Now, I want you to listen to what I'm not asking. I'm not asking, did you come to church? I'm not asking, did you read your Bible? I'm not asking, did you share the gospel this past week? I'm asking, are you awestruck by God? I want to remind you what God has reminded us in scriptures and what Rick Warren said when he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. The very first sentence said, it is not about you. The Bible is not about us. It's not just a collection of stories that we can personalize for ourselves. The Bible is about the King of glory, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords making an, an attempt and making uh, and was successful in making a relationship with man through his son, Jesus Christ. We all know the words of Moses when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, but we forget the last part of that. It says, let my people go that they may worship me. And that's what God's desire is for all nations and all people to come and worship him. So let's get a little context of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. He wrote this book in the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Manasseh. At this time, Israel was full of rebellion, and Israel, by the way, was wiped out in 722 B.C., and Judah with the southern kingdom was wiped out in 586 B.C., years after uh, Isaiah had died. But Isaiah, in this time, was living in a national and severe spiritual and moral crisis. In other words, Isaiah was living in difficult days. It was a time of unrest. It was a time of revolts. It was a time of widespread sin. And I promise you, I didn't just read this out of the Decatur Daily. Okay? This is what was happening then. And uh, I believe we're living in times where the history books will be written, that our grandchildren will read about, namely COVID, social injustice, rioting. But Isaiah lived in difficult days too. And if you read scriptures, we're not alone. Let me ask you a question. But what if they read about Christians and another awakening. What if they read about a revival taking place in these days? And let me ask you this. What if you and I have something to do with it? See, Isaiah is regarded as one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. He is quoted by most, uh, New Te- the most in the New Testament by the disciples. So how in the world did Isaiah do it? If Isaiah lived in times just like we do, how did he do it? I believe it all comes down to this. If Isaiah never got over the day that God found him, and he was awestruck by God. So let's look at how this happened. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. You can follow along with me on the screen as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This year, by the way, was about 740 B.C., and you can read about it in 2 Chronicles 26, but King Uzziah, say that real fast, Isaiah, Uzziah, Isaiah, Uzziah, Uzziah, 
was on the throne, okay? And there was, it was a time of cold war, but in spite of the cold war among Israel and all the nations, Israel was being blessed. They had economic prosperity. They were happy. So society was flourishing. They had appearance of religious interest. People, however, they were just coming to church and checking off the box, doing things, just going through the motions. And Isaiah said, listen, in Isaiah chapter 5, he pronounced woe and judgments on him. and said, guys, if you don't get your act straight, something's going to happen. God blessed Israel because of the reign of Uzziah. But the Bible tells us later on in Isaiah that Uzziah became proud at the end of his reign. And God said, that's enough. Isaiah died. Uzziah died. Isaiah, as I said, he's discouraged. He goes and preaches woe and judgment because things are not looking good. And what does he do? He goes to the temple. And by the way, that's a good place to go when things are not going good, when there's a moral crisis, when there's a national crisis. That's a good thing to go. The world, the lost and dying world needs to see people running to God instead of running from God. That's what awestruck people do. So it gets better. Let's look at when he saw the Lord. It absolutely changed his life forever. Uh, This scene, you have these seraphs. They're worshiping God and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Now, the seraphs, remind you, have not sinned. The angels, it doesn't mention them here in this passage, the angels have not sinned. But God is so holy that even those seraphs are worshiping as set apart as holy, holy, holy. That's how separated God is, even from those in heaven who have never sinned. What an awesome picture. Because it must have done something to Isaiah. Because the book of Isaiah, he calls the Lord the Holy One of Israel 25 times in the book of Isaiah. You see, we derive our holiness. Our holiness is transferred to us. See, when we as Christians accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And because of that, we become holy just because God has given us His Holy Spirit. But God is holy unto Himself. He is holy holy in kind and nature. And there is no one higher than Him, and there is no one like Him. And God's holiness never ends. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, that the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. His holiness continues forever. You remember the song, I Can Only Imagine? Um, It talks about, how we will respond one day when we meet God and we see Jesus. And I believe those of us who are believers, I know I will be awestruck. I mean, I don't know if we, how, how would you respond, fall prostrate? I believe I would because he is so holy. He is so high, exalted, way better than even I can think about, even talk, even, I can't even put it into words. But my question this morning is not about how you're going to respond. When you see him, my question is, are you awestruck by him now? There are many scriptural examples. I'll just give you a few. God went to Moses. Moses became awestruck by God when he saw him uh, in the burning bush and he was speaking. God says, Moses, take off your sandals. 
because the feet you're standing on is holy ground. God, when God told Moses, I'm fixing to come and talk to you on Mount Sinai and give you the law, I want you to tell the people, do not even come close to the mountain, don't even touch it, or they die because of my holiness. The Bible talks about Job when he was talking about his problems and he was trying to figure out why these things were happening to him. He finally got to the end of himself and he said in Job 42, Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. I have heard of thee by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself, repent in dust and ashes. Paul knew about the Lord. He had heard of the Lord, he was a persecutor of the way. Before his name was Paul, he was Saul, and he was persecuting Christians. But when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, it blinded him. So much so that ever since that moment, Paul was awestruck by God. I want you to listen to a man who was awestruck by God. Second Corinthians 11, Therefore I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death and death again, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger at false brothers. I have labored, toiled, and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. Let me tell you something. Isaiah would not have gone through that just because he felt sorry for people. They tried to kill him. The reason why Isaiah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Paul, went through all of these things is because he was awestruck by God. And that was the only thing that got him through that because all of these other things, he would have given in. He never forgot where the Lord found him. He let go of his dreams and embraced God's dreams. He let go of himself and reached out to Jesus. He had a mission, and his mission was to press on toward the goal to win the prize of the high calling for which God had called him. Moses awestruck. Job, awestruck. Paul, awestruck. Isaiah, awestruck. This is how Isaiah was able to persevere in the difficult days. But let me tell you something. Everybody on the planet that has ever been born from the time of Adam to the last person that's ever been born will be awestruck by God. Either you will be awestruck by God as their Lord on this earth or as their judge in the next. Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. It happens, the judgment happens after the day of the Lord. And Isaiah wrote about, in Isaiah 53, he writes about the suffering servant which Jesus Christ came as a suffering servant. He didn't come with power. He didn't come with thunder. He didn't come with pomp. He came riding on a donkey. And given his life on the cross so that you and I can have eternal life. But when he comes in the day of the Lord, he's coming with strength. He's coming with power. He's coming with thunder. And Isaiah writes about this. Listen to Isaiah 2. Go into the rocks. 
and hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled and the pride of men will be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has in store a day for all the proud and the lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. I don't want anybody, folks, any of my family, anybody in this room to stand and face God as their judge. Habakkuk, listen to this, 2.20 says, The Lord is holy in his temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Could it be that you're spending your days with lack of all of who He is? Could it be that you're so caught up in what's going on around you that you forgot and lost the wonder of the Savior? Everyone wants to have significance. God put that in us. But the only way you can have significance is to be a part of something bigger and greater than yourself. And, then, and the way to do that is get involved in what God is doing. God is eternal and His plan is perfect and His plan is going to work. So let's just get involved in what good and that's what significance is about. God is unmatched in power. He is unmatched in wisdom. He is unmatched in authority and in holiness. God, at the snap of His fingers, everything could end. I don't know if you've ever watched the the end game where Thanos has these, these guys gets these five stones. Once he gets the five stones, he snaps his fingers uh, and the third of the population just ceases to exist. God is not like Thanos. Hey, God doesn't need stones. He created the stones. When God speaks, he brought galaxies into existence. Have you lost the wonder of the Savior? Because when you see the wonder of the Savior and you see the Lord, number two, you see yourself. And let me just say it this way. It ain't good. Look what Isaiah said in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you were so convicted by the gospel of Jesus Christ that you could do nothing but repent? I remember when I was a, a 10-year-old boy, I was going to a revival service. Brother Junior Hill was doing the service at Cheney Grove Baptist Church. And on that Sunday night, he, he gave the invitation. He had preached how, how uh, the holiness of God and how sinful man was. And I realized at that point in time that I was lost. And if I would have died, I would have went to hell because I could not be good enough to get to heaven. And I needed to believe and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That night, my friends went forward. My sister gave her life to Christ that night, but I didn't because I was more concerned about what other people thought than what God thought. On that Monday night, I came, and I, I was so convicted of the gospel, but I did not respond. Again, I was hanging on to my pride. Tuesday night came. I rejected him again, and I knew that moment, if I were to die, I'd went to hell. When I got home that night, I was under so much conviction. I begged God. I said, God, if you'll just... 
If you'll just let me live to the next tomorrow night, I'll give my life to you. I was a 10-year-old boy. I could have done it right then. I just didn't know, you know, know any better. That night, I couldn't hardly sleep. That day at school, I couldn't hardly focus. And that night, I grabbed my dad's hand, and we walked down the aisle, and I gave my heart and life to Jesus. Because I was so awestruck by who he was and who I was. It's one thing to call God great. Some people think the Grand Canyon's great. It's one thing to call God good. Some people think they are good or others are good. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. It's one thing to call God glorious. Some people think the celebrities are. But we've learned through this pandemic they're just non-essential workers. But let me tell you something. You, Everybody on the planet would hesitate to call someone. And that is holy. There's something inside of me and you that would hesitate to call someone or something holy because that means that is that person or that something is perfect and is completely set apart from the common people. It's true that there's people in the remotest places on the earth, unreached peoples that we call them. They already have a law. Do not kill, do not steal, do not lie. Why is that? Because God has already written in their hearts and their conscience the law of God. That's what Paul said. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by the nature's things required by the law, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they, that they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences. Or bearing witness in their thoughts, now accusing, now even defending them. Okay, so this is a question and answer time. Okay, let's just go. Let's, instead of comparing ourselves with each other, let's compare ourselves with God and go through a few of the Ten Commandments. Have you lied at any point in time in your life? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So, what do they call people who lie? Liars. Okay. Good. This side sounded good. Okay. Have you ever stolen anything at any point in time in your life, even, even as a kid in a candy store? Okay. So what if they call people who steal? Thief. All right. Have you har- ever harbor- harbored hatred or bitter- bitterness toward anyone or any point in time of your life? Yes. Okay. Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that if you've harbored hatred or bitterness in your heart, it's the same as murder. Because he only not only looks at the act of pulling the trigger, he looks at why you pull the trigger, which is anger, rage, and malice, and is a sin against the holy God. So what do you call murders? Murder. So just by three of the ten, just, we're just going through three of the Ten Commandments. You've told me that you're a liar, a thief, and a murderer. Y'all feeling good, right? <laughs> All right, now, here we go. Let me ask you this question. Would you be guilty when you stand before a holy God or not guilty? Okay. Less people said that. It's called pride. Let me ask you the next question. Would that mean heaven or would that mean hell? Nobody, absolutely nobody, can stand before God 
just by three of the Ten Commandments, we are guilty. That's what Isaiah felt. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. He, he just got through pronouncing judgment and woes on Israel in verse five, uh, chapter 5, and now he's proclaiming it on himself in the first part of chapter 6. We're the same way. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64.6 says, none of us are clean. Isaiah said to himself, for our righteousness is as filthy rags. Look what happened in Isaiah 6, verse 6. Jump down to verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. And when he had taken with the tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is a picture of the foreshadowing and atonement of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. In this scene, who is being worshipped? Yes. In this scene, who's in charge? God is. So if God's in charge, who do you think told the seraphs to take the tongues from the coal and go put it on Isaiah's lips? God did. You know why? Because God saw Isaiah in his desperation. He says, I'm going to take initiative and I'm going to make you whole. And that's this, that is exactly what's happened in the entire thread of Scripture. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, they gave him glory and they had fellowship together and they gave him glory just by being obedient and tending to the garden. But then sin came. But God says, I knew this was going to happen. I'm going to use you, Abraham, and your people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. And that blessing means it's a family blessing. In other words, it means they're going to still be a part. The whole world and all the nations will be blessed because of you. And they're all going to come worship me. But we know what happened. They ended up going to Egypt. And he calls Moses. Moses, I want you to take my people out of Egypt that, that we may be a glory to show the nations uh, what it means to worship a holy God, that, that nations will come to me. But we all know what happened in the desert. Then you go on to uh, David. God says, you know, David, I'm going to continue pursuing these people that continue to reject me. Out of your throne of the house of David, I am going to have a king that will live forever and ever, that will reign over the nations forever. And we see that happen in, in Revelation where Jesus Christ is reigning over the world and people from every nation, come and tribe, are singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are giving Him worship. God always takes the initiative. And Romans 6.23 says, But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 But God commended Himself toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that just as the seraphs went and took the coal off of the, off of the fire and put it on Isaiah's lips, God sent Jesus Christ into this world to take the pain and the punishment of which God cannot even look on because of his sin just for you and for me so he could have a relationship with us. God always takes the initiative. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, But God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, literally, Isaiah 53, he said that the Lord laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of the sin of us all. So all, every sin from every, since Adam all the way to the end of time was placed on the cross of Jesus Christ. It was so hideous to God because of his holiness, he could not bear to look at his son. But the Bible says that those who trust by faith in that Jesus Christ rose from the dead will get his righteousness. He took our sin, but he gave us his righteousness. How is that? By faith. That if you can... Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth confession is made into salvation, and with the heart man believes unto righteousness. So every time we see the Lord and who he is, we see our desperate need. But not only would you see that, we see the need around us. Look what it says in chapter, or verse 5, chapter 6. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see or are struck by God, all of a sudden we start to see ourselves and everybody else in a hopeless situation. It always starts that way. You see, we can't expect people to get fired up with missions, discipleship, and ministry until they're first fired up about Jesus. So when Jesus asked, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah said, I'm all in. Send me, Lord. You see, Isaiah saw the desperate need of mankind. He didn't act like Jonah and said, I don't like those people. He didn't say, I don't like their skin color. He didn't say, I don't want to get on a plane and travel. He didn't say, I didn't like their political party. Isaiah was awestruck by God. All he cared about was worshiping and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. From this point, he didn't focus on so much as what he was saved from as to what he was saved for. Let me say that again. He didn't focus so much on what he was saved from He focused on what he was saved for. You see, if we are not devoted to the sender, the Lord, we will never be devoted to the people he sends us to. The people. I used to think that when I saw people on stage or singing or serving in the background, uh, that they just, they had more time than I did, they had more gifts than I did, they could speak better than I could, they can sing better than I could. Well, everybody can sing better than I can. Okay, but I used to think, uh, you know, they just had all these attributes that I didn't have. After I've been in ministry as a pastor and youth pastor, I realized that's not it at all. It has nothing to do with it. Those people that are in your mind right now, they're all struck by God. That's why they were. They were all struck by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that he would ask them to join him in what he is doing. See, God has people around this city and in this church that are awestruck by God. This sermon is not about getting on a plane and going on a mission trip. This sermon is not about signing up for ministry. This sermon is understanding who he is 
and who we are. See, COVID can kill the body, but sin can kill the body and the soul. And so we need to get back to the wonder of the Savior. Put yourself in a position where all you think about and care about is honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God reveals His glory to us so that He can receive glory from us. We're not just to sit and soak and come and check off a box like Israel was doing. We're to get involved in doing and giving back the glory that God has given us. The average Christian, if we would just act on what we know, we would make a difference for the kingdom of God. We don't need another discipleship class if we would just act on what we know. We have more money in this church for Westmead than there's ever been in the life of Westmead Baptist Church for, that's available for ministry. These are unprecedented times in the life of Westmead Baptist Church. And these days, as I said, will be written in history books of our grandchildren. My question to you and me is, what are we going to do about it? Will we be like Isaiah? Will we show what a lost and dying world, what it looks like to be awestruck by God in spite of our circumstances? Folks, God is the God of Israel. He's the God of Decatur. He's the God of Japan, China, Canada. He's the God of Target. He's the God of Walmart. He's the God of your family. He's the God of my life and your life. He's God of the world. And we have an opportunity to get involved in what God is doing. The question is, how many Isaiahs do we have in this church that are awestruck by God? See, as I talked in the beginning, in my introduction, it's not about us. This Bible, as best as I could explain, it is not about us. It's about what God's doing and what God will do. This church... It's not about us. It's about what God's doing and about what God will do. If we are not awestruck by God, here's the thing. He's going to use somebody else to do it. Remember the Israelites when they come out of the Egypt? God had shown them His glory and power and He rescued them from Egypt. Then He led them by the Shekinah glory at night and by day. And they didn't give back glory to God. They just started focused on themselves, started complaining about the food, about the water, about their surroundings. They just all complained and they stopped giving glory to God. And God said, you know what? Fine. You do what you want to do. I can wait. I'll use somebody else. I don't know about you, but I've ever, have you ever watched a movie and you get to the end of the movie and... You're like, that's it? I mean, you want the guy and the girl to, to get married or kiss or something, you know. If you're like a chick flick, I watch chick flicks because my wife likes the chick flicks. Or if it's, a, if it's a bad guy and a good guy, you know, they're fighting, and you want the good guy to win, but he doesn't really win, you're like, well, that's it? Oh, I don't like those movies. But I wonder if God were to look at my life as a movie. I wonder if God were to look at your life as a movie. Or someone in this room were to see our lives as movies. When it comes to their spiritual life, when they get to the end of it, would they say, that's it? 
All this potential, that's it? Jesus didn't die that way. Oh, no. Jesus didn't die that way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he was burdened so bad about his, what he, the cross that he was about to carry. He said, but Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he went all the way for us. He went all the way for the Lord. And he, the Bible says that he even fulfilled his own prophecy when he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I don't know much, but I do know that being awestruck by God is not an emotional thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't feel saved every day I wake up out of bed. Just ask my wife. Okay? Being awestruck by God is not just going on a mission trip and getting fired up, although those things are good. Being awestruck by God is understanding who He is and who we are in spite of the circumstances and never forgetting it. I have never, ever, in the times of ministry, met a person who is awestruck by God who is not willing to do whatever it takes for the glory of God. Never. Let me close with this. If you're in ministry or you're going to be in ministry and you're praying about what God's leading you, I just want to encourage you with this. Don't be so fascinated and focused on results of serving God rather than serving God. If I focus on the results of serving, I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to be, my expectations of someone will be this or that, and I'll be let down. Someone may say something. If it's about me, it's going to hurt my feelings, and I'll get burned out. Eventually, I will quit. But if I am awestruck by God, and He's who I'm serving, He's who I'm loving, He's my hands, and He's my feet, all of a sudden, all that stuff is secondary. If we come to church with our preferences for worship style, our preferences for how money should be spent, the color of the carpet, or anything else except for the glory of God, we are wasting our lives. A church is not a great church just because of the pastor and his staff. I do believe we have assembled some of the greatest pastor and staff in this area. Absolutely incredible. But you know what? They can only do so much. A great church is made up of people who are awestruck. They want nothing more than the glory of God to be shown out by living obedient lives and being faithful to Him in whatever He asks us to do. May Westmead Baptist Church be a church of people that are awestruck by God. And if we do this, then I promise you, unity, discipleship, mission, you name it, it just comes easy as breathing. You know why? Because we're focusing on what we need to focus on, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like me as a 10-year-old boy and you know that you've lost. You know if you were to die this moment, you know you couldn't go to heaven because of the sin in your life and the holiness of God. And God's convicting you so much like He had me. 
And you are going to give your life to Jesus if you just give the opportunity. We're going to give you an opportunity. We've got people on the east side of the stage that are here to take your hand and walk with you how, what it means to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, and let's just be honest. You've lost the wonder of the Savior. You forgot what it means to be awestruck by God. And it's time to get back to where the Lord found you. Instead of living in prison, live in freedom. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting and we're honored that you're here and maybe God's told you this is where you need to plant your feet. This is where your family needs to be a part of what God's doing in this church. There's people, again, on the sides that will be glad to talk to you about how you can do that. Father in heaven, we're here for you. We sing for you. We preach for you. We teach for you. We talk for you. We work for you. May you be honored by the lives of the people at Westmead Baptist Church. In your holy and holy, holy, precious name that we pray. Amen. I stand as we sing.
guys can stay standing for just a minute. I know that's kind of tricky. Uh, Lance, thank you. Thank you for letting God speak through you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise God. Uh, I told him at the first service, I tell you this now, God was glorified in that, brother. And I'm so thankful for your obedience in that. A couple of things I want to make sure you're aware of, church. Not tomorrow, but next Monday starts our How to Study the Bible series with Miss Kim Vernetti on Monday night. If you want more information, you can contact the church office or you can talk to Miss Kim. Uh, she would love to give you more information about that class. It's going to be starting up next Monday. Uh, in about a month, we're going to have our annual Westmead Golf Tournament. It'll be on Saturday, October the 3rd. You can sign up. You can register online. Or there's some forms out in the foyer here. You can grab a, a form and get some information, but it's going to be the first Saturday in October, October 3rd. It's going to be a great time, so hopefully you can be getting out, getting your team together. I am available. Uh, I highly recommend you not taking that option, but just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Uh, a couple of things for you. Uh, we have started a new online series called Tell Me a Story. Uh, the last one came out this past Wednesday. The next one come out this Wednesday where we're going to be spotlighting testimonies and the parables of Jesus. So if, uh, if you're at home uh, on those nights or you're just looking for a, a, a time of, in the Word, we encourage you to check out our YouTube channel or how to tell me a story uh, series. Uh, on your way out, there's a little bucket and a chair. If you'd like to put your tithe and offering, you can put it there. Our ushers will turn it in, make sure it gets where it needs to go. Uh, but thank you for being here today. I hope you have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Have a good afternoon.